This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. And for this, we labor and strive that we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, and especially of those who believe. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. I'd like you also to join me in Lord's Day 24 of the Heidelberg Catechism. In the back of your green Psalter hymnals on page 31. And can we uh, read the answers together with one voice? Why can't the good we do make us right with God, or at least help make us right with Him? Because the righteousness which can pass God's scrutiny must be entirely perfect and must in every way measure up to the divine law. Even the very best we do in this life is imperfect and stained with sin. How can you say that the good we do doesn't earn anything when God promises to reward it in this life and the next? This reward is not earned. It is a gift of grace. But doesn't this teaching make people indifferent and wicked? No. It is impossible for those grafted into Christ by true faith not to produce fruits of gratitude. That's the teaching of the catechism. I'm assuming that at some point in your life you have worked to get better at something. Um, If so, you soon realize that the cliche practice makes perfect is true. Or as I heard this week, which oddly enough I heard also again in the uh, consistory meeting, the five business P's, right? Proper preparation prevents poor performance. Well, you may know or may not have known that uh, the Winter Olympics were going on. I personally did not watch a single bit of it because I don't think we should have anything to do with the genocidal country, communist country, China. So forget that. That's basically what I said. Um, good, good on you, athletes. I'm thankful that you are you know, representing our country. Um, but uh, also just... Don't watch the Winter Olympics, so (laughs) I'm not trying to pat myself on the back. But uh, Olympic athletes are somebody who puts this into action. Uh, They seem to succeed with effortless grace. You watch them on the ice, and their performances are pristine. But they aren't as easy as they look. The average Olympian trains four hours a day, at least 310 days a year, for six years before succeeding. Getting better begins with working out every day. By 7 a.m., most athletes have done more than many people do all day. In fact, I realize that I'm now getting tired because I have moved from a sitting desk to a standing desk. That's how much inactivity my life has right now. How well an athlete performs is often attributed to mental grit, toughness. But performance actually really does depend on physical capacity to do the work. Well, as Christians, we're called to train in the sport of godliness. And Paul talks about it in our text this evening. Our theme tonight work out your salvation.
for it is God who works in you. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God working in you what is pleasing to him. That would be sort of the extended version of it. This is an almost direct quotation from Paul's uh, writing to um, the book of, uh, the, the letter of Philipp, Philippians, right? Josh, is that right? Is it Philippians? I don't know. I think it's right. Um, so we have three points tonight. The first is train yourself. The second is the eternal value of godliness. And the third is hope and hard work. Hope and hard work. Train yourself to be godly. The first thing that we should notice as we're looking at this scripture passage is that this is a letter from Paul to an individual, Timothy. Now, there is an understanding if you read the end of, uh, of 1 Timothy in, in chapter 6. The closing greeting is plural. So there was a sense or an understanding in which that this letter was not simply meant to be a private letter. It was meant to be a letter that should be read to the congregation. But nonetheless, Paul is making personal application to Timothy. So you read in verse 6, If you point these things out to the brothers, you'll be a good minister. You will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, brought up in the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. Paul is instructing Timothy on what makes a good minister, right? And so then everybody here is like, well, Carrie, this is a a scripture passage that applies to you. Obviously, it doesn't apply to me. So I'm going to take an evening nap because it just became evening five minutes ago. But as I have said many, many other times, being a minister or an elder or an officer in the church does not make you an uber Christian. It does not make you something of a Christian that's different than other Christians. And so my encouragement to you is that whatever Paul tells Timothy that makes him a good minister of Christ Jesus also makes anybody a good Christian. Okay? So this is universally applicable. This is not something that is strictly applicable to uh, um, ministers. But this is something in which I would say when Paul says to the church in Corinth, follow me as I follow Christ. Paul is saying to Timothy, this is what makes a good minister of the Lord. But later on in this very, very passage, he will say, watch your life and doctrine closely, preserve in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So what is Paul saying? He's saying, Good ministers make for good church members who are growing in the faith, growing in what it means to be a Christian, okay? So there's universal application here. This is what Paul is saying in verse 6. He is saying, you need, Timothy, 
to stick to the word of God. Now, as we talked about the first trustworthy saying at the beginning of 1 Timothy, mentioned that Paul said, uh, this is a trustworthy saying that Christ came into the world to save sinners, of which I am the chief. You will remember that the first thing that Paul mentioned was the false teachers. He said, I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain men not to teach false doctrines any longer, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. These promote controversies rather than God's work, which is by faith. And so Paul is understanding that he's speaking to Timothy, who is dealing in a church, he's pastoring a church, in which there is this false teaching propping up, right? And Paul mentions this again at the beginning of chapter 4. He says about these false teachers that the Holy Spirit clearly told him, revealed to him, that in later times, in the end times, by the way, we've been in the end times for 2,000 years. If you see any comments in your Facebook news feeds about how Russia is, a cha- is attached to these scripture passages in Ezekiel and how this is pointing to the end times, just ignore it, all right? Okay? We've been in the end times for 2,000 years since Christ came and inaugurated the kingdom and the Holy Spirit was poured out at Pentecost. We are uh, latter days people, okay? Um, anyways, Paul says during the time, Timothy, that you're going to be ministering, you're going to be experiencing these kinds of people. They're going to abandon the faith. They're going to follow deceiving spirits, things taught by demons. And these things taught by demons, these teachings, had to do with sort of... Um, Aesthetic practices, um, 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 forbidding people to marry, um, ordering them to abstain from certain foods, which are created to be received by Thanksgiving with those who believe and who know the truth. Um, Many people think that this is sort of the beginning or the seeds of what would later become Gnosticism. And Gnosticism was this idea that everything that is physical and the physical realm is inherently evil, but everything that is spiritual is inherently good. And so the reason why you would do things like forbidding Mary is because it's, it's base, it's carnal, it's physical, right? Um, this idea of sex being a bad thing instead of something that God created for his glory that's meant to be used in a proper context called marriage between a man and a woman. Forbidding certain kinds of foods. This is a, it's, a, it's sort of a rejection of the goodness of God's creation, right? And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, this is not okay. What you need to do is you need to teach people that everything is to be uh, uh, received with thanksgiving and praise because um, it's consecrated by the word of God and prayer. And so then uh, Paul says, if you point these things out to the brothers, you'll be a good minister of Christ Jesus, brought up in the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. So this is the word of God, right? And so the first thing that he says in verse 7 have nothing to do with godless myths. Have nothing to do with old wives' tales. Have nothing to do with these things. And this concept of genealogies, this concept of Endless lists of genealogies, old wives' tales, godless myths. A lot of these are rooted in a, in a sort of Jewish tradition. 
Um, and that is to say that in a very real sense, Paul is saying to Timothy, there's this sort of um, pop culture ideas going on in the Jewish realm of, of, of the day that uh, like to uh, just go on and on about all these random things that didn't have any meaning, didn't have any weight, didn't have any um, uh, significance, right? Um, it would be like um, um, uh, pe- people today who, um, even though, um, even though uh, Trump hasn't been president for uh, over a year, going on and on about all these conspiracies, about how Trump is going to come back and be in office and how he's going to take over again. And, and they spiritualize all these things and they, they make things seem like Trump is the Messiah and they make things seem like all these conspiracies are, are spiritually related and that has no root, that has no grounding in God's word and it's not edifying, it's not beneficial. And you're spending hours and hours and hours of your day and your time listening to these things and it's filling your brain with a bunch of hoopla. That's essentially what Paul is warning Timothy against, okay? And he's saying, this is something that you should not spend your time with. Rather, what should you do? Not this. What is the alternative? This this is the worthless endeavor. What is the alternative? He says, train yourself to be godly. Train yourself to be godly. Maybe a way that Paul would say it today, if he were here, he'd say, take time to be holy. Take time to be holy. Like that wonderful song, that hymn, right? Take time to be holy. Train yourself to be godly. Pursue things that are going to benefit your Christian life, that are going to help you grow as a Christian. And what are those kinds of things, right? What are those kinds of things that Paul is telling him to commit his time to, to commit his uh, training to? And when Paul says, train yourself to be godly, he uses the same word that was associated with the origin of the Greek Olympics. Uh, And it's actually very interesting because the word means to exercise in the nude. Because in those days, in the Greek Olympics, they didn't want anything to limit themselves athletically. And so they trained as athletes and they performed as athletes in the nude. And we're glad that they don't do that today, right? I don't know if they would do that during the Winter Olympics. It might be a little cold. (laughs) But what Paul is saying is, in the same sense, in the spiritual sense, Strip all the things away that are dragging you down, that are holding you down. Let go of all those things that are keeping you back. Let go of all of those things and rather train yourself to be godly. How can we do that? We spend devoted time in prayer. We spend devoted time in the Bible, Scripture. We spend devoted time and reflection. One of the things I think about often in prayer as someone who is so used to speaking is that I will realize that I have prayed for a long time, but I haven't let God say a word. I have not been quiet. 
to let God speak into my heart and my life. Oftentimes, I have read the Bible, the scriptures, right? And this is what I have done for some time now. I read a chapter from the Old Testament, a chapter from the New Testament, and then I work myself through the Psalms and the Proverbs. Back and forth. One Psalm a day until I'm done with the Psalms and then I do the Proverbs, chapter of Proverbs a day. And that's what I've done for some time. But sometimes I'll do my Bible reading. And if you ask me, Carrie, what did you read in the Bible today? I wouldn't be able to tell you a thing about it. But I did it. Now, sometimes you're going to feel like that, right? But do you ever slow down when you're reading the Scripture and say, what is God trying to teach me about this word that I'm reading today? What is it that he's saying to me? What is it that he's speaking to me in this, right? That's what I talk about when I, mean, when I mean reflection. Time and prayer where you're reflecting on what you've prayed for, but also what, what's stirring your heart, what's, what's, uh, what's moving in you. And also what is God trying to say to you? What's God trying to communicate to you in this time? Time of reflection during your scripture reading, what is God saying as, I, as, as I'm reading this? What is he trying to teach me? What is he trying to work in me by the Spirit, right? Train yourself to be godly. And Paul is telling this pastor who's dealing with false teachers in his church, do not get all wrapped up in that controversy. What you need to be doing is dedicating your time to training yourself in, to be godly. Right? And this is where he turns then. To the second point, the eternal value of godliness. Now, if I'm going to admit anything to you, I'm going to admit this. That chapter 4, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, right here. Is a very good scripture passage to use if you're going to try to avoid exercising. And I have done this before. My wife has said, are you going to exercise today? Are you going to get on the Peloton? And I'll say, well, physical training is of some value. My dear wife, physical training is of some value. But godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is what Paul is saying to Timothy. He's saying that there is a difference in quality between physical training and training in godliness. And the quality has to do with its ability to last. It's lasting nature. This is what he says. Physical training has some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Now, I don't think the NIV helps us here. If you know in the original Greek of the scriptures, the New Testament, there is no such thing as uh, paragraph markers or verse markers, or anything like that. 
And so whenever translations uh, do this, what they're attempting to do is clarify the meaning of the Scripture passage. Um, and in this case, I think that what they're in, the NIV translators are intending to imply is that the trustworthy saying is actually what is said in verse 10. But it's my opinion that actually the trustworthy saying is this statement in verse 8, which is something of a proverb that Paul is quoting. He's saying this is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance, and that is physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Now, is Paul implying that we should neglect our physical health in order to pursue our spiritual health. Absolutely not. In fact, Paul, in other places in the New Testament, will emphasize the importance of the human body. So much so that he will say in another letter that sexual sin is different than all other kinds of sin because it's done to your own body. And so he says, therefore, you are meant to keep the temple of your body pure. Now, unlike some other people, I don't think that has application for whether you eat McDonald's or not. Because its, it's application is directly towards sexual sin. But regardless, Paul is not saying you should not care for your physical body. Um, in pursuit of your spiritual health, what he is saying is that if you take time to be holy, if you grow in godliness and holiness, that is something that has eternal value because it is something that you will carry with you into the next life. That you will have it both in this present life and the life to come. Now, this is where I have to be careful because Paul, in some sense, is saying bodily training has a temporary and passing value, but godliness has an eternal value, value for this life and the next, but not because we are falling prey to the same false teaching that, Peter, or that Timothy is dealing with in, um, in the church, this Gnostic idea of the... Uh, evil of, of physical things, right, and the good of spiritual things. I'm in these uh, Reformed Theology Facebook groups online, and a lot of times these Facebook groups will get into random debates, or they'll have answers to, they'll have polls that you can vote on, and one of them is, uh, that's been a long-standing debate in the Christian churches. Um, what, is, what are we as people? Are we tripartite or dipartite? Which means, do, are we spirit, body, and soul? Or are we body and soul? As these two different uh, elements. So I'm, personally, I'm with the Heidelberg Catechism, body and soul, right? But the question is deeper than that. Because was it always God's intention that there would be a division between body and soul? And it's my conviction that that's, in essence, not really the case. If you look at Genesis, what, it's told, what we're told about our creation is that God 
took the dust of the earth, right, and he breathed into us the breath of life. So you could say there's the physical and there's the spiritual. But in another sense, in another sense, it wasn't until the fall happened when we died spiritually that we ever had the situation or circumstance in which we would be away from the body and be in the presence of the Lord, right? That's what Paul says. He says, when you die before the resurrection, you are away from the body, you take off this tent that we have now, and you're with the Lord. But if we look at the telos of creation and our creation, the end result, the end goal... We are not body and soul in, 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 in these two distinct elements throughout all eternity. No, we are in our perfect resurrected bodies. Our spiritual bodies, as Paul calls them in 1 Corinthians 15. And so what we need to be careful that we don't do is that we have this weird physical spiritual distinction that goes on in our minds, this dichotomy that happens in our mind where we think um, that all the physical things that we do don't have everlasting value uh, at its core, but the spiritual things we do do have everlasting value because here's the important thing here because we don't want to be heretics, right? Y'all don't want to be heretics, right? Are you with me? No heretics, right? The bodies that we get in the resurrection are not different bodies than we have right now. They're still our bodies. The body that Jesus had when he was resurrected from the dead, the one in which he now sits in the presence of his Father at his right hand, is not a different body than the body that walked around Jerusalem. You see what I'm saying? So Paul is not saying here that we should be Gnostics where we look at the physical as evil and the spiritual as good. But what he is saying is that you should not so much devote yourself to physical training that you neglect your spiritual training. And that's important, especially in a culture that is obsessed with looks, with the way one appears, with vanity. And if Paul was saying it in Timothy's day, how much more do you think he would be saying it to us today? Do not worry yourself so much with physical training that you neglect training in godliness. Because godliness has value for all things. Because it holds promise for both the present life and the life to come. Now, if you exercise and you're in really good shape and you live a long, good life, you're being a good steward of what God has given you. But if you don't take the best care of your body and your life, you're not going to be in bad shape in the resurrection, okay? That's... That's not what's going to happen, all right? I'm not giving you a pass on taking care of your body. I'm just saying that's what Paul is saying here, all right? That's what he's saying here. 
But if you take time to be holy in this life, that is something that, according to the Heidelberg Catechism, you receive a reward for. That's a gift of grace, but it's a reward. It's of eternal value, okay? That is the trustworthy saying that Paul is quoting here. He's saying this is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance, a proverb that he believes all Christians should know, all Christians should believe, that physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Now, if you really want to pursue Paul's um, uh, pursuit of this, uh, this trustworthy saying, then you can do what one of my friends does, and he uh, does Bible studies in the gym in the morning with his friends, okay? <laughs> He's pursuing physical training, which is of some value, and training in godliness. And this leads us then to Paul's sort of concluding point. Man. In relation to this... Uh, this call that he has to Timothy about pursuing godliness, um, growing in godliness, training in godliness, right? And that is this. Um, well, it's just verse 10, I guess. And for this we labor and strive that we have put our hope in the living God who is the Savior of all men and especially of those who believe. The reason, uh, Paul says, we... Uh, we labor and strive, right? What is he saying they labor and strive about? For this, we labor and strive. Uh, he's saying that we labor and strive for the ministry of Christ Jesus that is rooted in the truths of the faith and the good teaching that uh, Timothy has followed. They labor and strive for the value, the eternal value of godliness. Paul will say elsewhere that I devote myself, I give myself up for the elect. That there is a people in which Paul is uh, desiring to bring the gospel to. That the, the seed of the gospel will be planted in them and that they would live their lives in pursuit of and training of godliness. And, th and this is here, this is the reality that we need to understand. Christ did not only die to forgive you of your sins, he died to make you holy. He purchased holiness for you. And he is working that in you. And so when I say work out, get it, work out, that's totally a dad joke. Work out your salvation. What, what, what I'm saying is believe that what Christ has purchased for you includes your good works. It includes you're living out your salvation. You're living out your justification, right? So, Paul says this also in Ephesians chapter 2. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This not of yourselves, it is the gift of God that no one should boast. For you are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he has appointed for you to do. So, live out those good works. Live out that training in godliness. 
live out. That, that training in godliness does not simply include prayer, Bible reading, meditation, reflection. But it also includes the fruit of those things. Loving thy neighbor. Loving those who are, who are uh, uh, less fortunate and who, who need our help. Providing for those who are in need. Visiting those in prison. Bringing water for those who are thirsty. You see what I'm saying? It's all an outworking of this. Paul is saying, I work to see this come true in other people's lives. I work for this. Every minister should be able to say this. For this we labor and strive to see what Christ has accomplished and gifted to his people come to fruition in their lives. That we have put our hope in the living God who is the Savior of all men and especially of those who believe. Now when Paul says here, Savior of all men, especially those who believe. He is not saying that Jesus saves everyone, um, those who believe and those who don't believe, right? Some people have applied this to a, a universalist perspective, a universal salvation perspective. What Paul is saying here is that the hope that we have in the living God who is the Savior of anybody who's going to be saved, all men, right? Anybody who is saved is saved by this God. Um, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew. It doesn't matter if you're a Gentile. It doesn't matter if you're Ukrainian. It doesn't matter if you're Russian. It doesn't matter. He's the Savior of all men, of all people who believe he is the Savior, and, and especially of those who believe, especially um, this reality of those who are believers, right? Well, that's Paul is not saying... Uh, universal salvation. He's saying this is our hope, that there's a living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. Um, um, this, is, uh, this is important for us to grasp because this is the hope on which Paul bases his hard work. This is the hope on which Paul calls Timothy to the hard work of training and godliness. And this is the basis on which we should be pursuing our training in godliness. When you work hard for something, you, you work hard because you believe that there is um, there's a reward at the end. There is something that you're working towards. There is something that you're going to accomplish. You're going to be able to see the labor that you have put forth, the work of your hands, right? That's what Paul's saying here, and that's what he's calling Timothy to. And he's saying to all of us through Timothy and his uh, instruction to Timothy, if you train in godliness... If you seek to be someone who lives their life in accordance with God's word, then that is something you will not regret. That is hard work that you will be thankful for. You will see a reward. You will see something come of that reality. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because it is God working in you. Work out because God is working in. Work out because God is working in you. Train yourself in godliness because that has eternal value. Amen. We pray with you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word, this trustworthy saying, the value of godliness, which is um, for this life and the life to come. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that you would help us to uh, um, live our lives in light of this truth, 
that godliness has great value, eternal value, that we would train in godliness, that we would train ourselves to be godly, that we would not pursue um, empty and, um, and vain pursuits and, and um, conspiracies and, and uh, anything that we could fill our minds with and, and uh, give our energy to, Lord, that are, that are empty and that do not uh, bring much, do not accomplish much, do not help us to grow. Um, we pray, Lord, we would leave those aside so that we may pursue godliness and holiness for your sake, that we may pursue what Christ has purchased for us, not only forgiveness of our sins, but the holiness, the righteousness that he has given to us. We pray, Lord, that we would pursue all these things in dependence upon you and your grace. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.